You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's topic is entitled Letters to Frank. Hello, my radio friends. Today I'm going to share with you letters number three and four, which I wrote to a friend whose name is Frank. So it says, Dear Frank, In the first letter I wrote to you, I thanked you for lending me the book Seventh-day Adventism, Wade, and Found Wanting. While While I disagree with what the author John Ecob has written, It's given me an opportunity to re-examine Seventh-day Adventist beliefs. It has also provided an opportunity to re-examine evangelical Protestant beliefs and to assess what John Ecob has come up with. Chapter 4 of his book is about Sunday worship as the mark of the beast. In this chapter, Ecob makes an attempt to ridicule the Adventist interpretation of the link between Sunday worship and the mark of the beast. That could be expected, as he himself is, no doubt, a Sunday worshipper. Ecob also makes an attempt in this chapter to show that the seventh-day Sabbath was changed from Saturday to Sunday. He appeals to various historical sources which state that the day of worship changed. But there is a problem, a gigantic one. The change was not authorised by God. It is a man-made change, and therefore it falls into the area of tradition. Ecob states on page 30, It is clear that the observance of the first day of the week was not instituted as a papal edict, but was the general practice in the early church. The Lord's Day was not the Sabbath, as Seventh-day Adventists assert, but the first day of the week on which Christ rose from the dead. Personally, I don't put much credence in what man says. The Bible is the only reliable authority, and it is where I base my theology and ideology. So what does the Bible say about the Lord's Day? Mark chapter 2 and verse 28 is clear and unambiguous, and it says, So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Here, Jesus claims his lordship of the Sabbath. And in Isaiah 58 verse 13, it says, If you keep your feet away from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, and then it goes on, God calls the Sabbath his day, therefore the Lord's day. So these are two direct identifying statements that the Sabbath is the Lord's Day. Now, if you can come up with a text 
that identifies Sunday as the Lord's Day, I will accept it. The trouble is there is no such text to be found. Christ rose from the dead on Sunday morning. That's wonderful. But nowhere is Sunday identified as the Lord's Day. John, who wrote Revelation, was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Many Protestants have assumed that day was Sunday, although there is no biblical support for that assumption. Fred, uh, Frank, rather, I have a copy of the Roman Catholic document Deus Domini, issued to Roman Catholics in 1998. In that document, the then Pope John Paul II claimed that the Lord's Day was Sunday because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. But he does not and cannot prove that Sunday is the Lord's Day from the Bible. Neither can John Ecop, neither can you, nor anybody else. The Lord's Day was and is the Sabbath. I want to share with you a few of the many statements that leading Catholics have had to say about transference of the Lord's Day from Saturday to Sunday. Here's one. Protestants accept Sunday rather than Saturday as the day for public worship after the Catholic Church made the change. But the Protestant mind does not seem to realise that in observing Sunday they are accepting the authority of the spokesman of the Church, the Pope. Another one. If Protestants would follow the Bible, they would worship God on the Sabbath day. Instead, uh, sorry, in keeping the Sunday, they are following a law of the Catholic Church. Another one. The observance of Sunday by the Protestants is homage they pay in spite of themselves to the authority of the Catholic Church. Another one. Sunday is a Catholic institution and can be defended only on Catholic principles. From beginning to end of Scripture, there is not a single passage that warrants the transfer of weekly public worship from the last day of the week to the first. And then we have this one. The Sabbath was Saturday, not Sunday. The Church altered the observance of the Sabbath to the observance of Sunday. Protestants must be rather puzzled by the keeping of Sunday when God distinctly said, Keep holy the Sabbath day. The word Sunday does not come anywhere in the Bible. So, without knowing it, they are obeying the authority of the Catholic Church. Well, what do you make of Ecob's statement where he said the Catholic Church, the papacy, had nothing to do with the change? Here again, Ecob shoots himself in the foot because the Catholics unashamedly claim that they were responsible for that change. And even worse, many Protestants who claim that they base their beliefs on the Bible and the Bible only, that's sola scriptura, 
are blissfully unaware that they are following an unbiblical Roman Catholic tradition, yet attempt to come up with arguments to defend their false worship practices. That's like trying to prove that error is truth. The day of worship, according to the Bible, is Saturday. That was the day God hallowed and blessed. He did no such thing on any other day of the week, regardless of what events may have occurred on any other of those six days. In Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, Do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And following this statement, Jesus went on to elaborate and explain how people should regard the law. If Jesus knew that the law was to be changed at his crucifixion, why did he not say what was going to happen? That is, that the Sabbath would be abolished and Sunday worship would take its place. What he did say, though, was a warning about what Christians should pray about when Jerusalem was being attacked by the, the Romans. What Jesus said is recorded in Matthew twenty four twenty. Here are his words. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath. Anyone who claims that the day of worship has been transferred to Sunday has to take up his argument with firstly Jesus, then the Apostle Paul, and then the Apostle Peter, the Apostle James, and finally the Apostle John. Here's what Jesus said. Or this is about Jesus. He went to the he went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And that's from Luke 4, verse 16. Here's what Paul says. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commandments is what counts. Here's what James says in James 2.10. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles on one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Here's what Peter says. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and to turn from the holy command delivered to them. That's from Second Peter 2.21. And here's what John says. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. First John 5.2 I certainly recognise that absolutely nobody can be saved by law-keeping. But we do have an obligation, a response, to keep God's law if we love him. Now, here are two statements made on April 9 and March 19 this year at the BSF lectures. April 9, the statement was, Some take the biblical teaching of the law to an unbiblical conclusion, that is, that you don't need to keep it anymore. And on March 19, the statement was, The law is good, and it tells us how to relate to each other and to God. Humankind has nothing to offer God. 
Obedience is out of thankfulness for what he has done. Any practice, if it's not according to the Bible, whether in the church or not, is a tradition. God gave his laws not only for the benefit of mankind, but that they are also a test to determine who does and who does not love him by honouring and obeying him. Ecob and many others are prepared to regularly break God's law by worshipping on a day other than what God specified. That worship practice is therefore tradition. Jesus berated the Jews for some of their traditions. One related to their parents. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, uh, sorry, Matthew 15, verses 3 and 4. Why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition? For God commanded them, saying, Honour your father and mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, and then he goes on. In Mark 7.13, Jesus also condemned people who placed more importance in tradition than the word of God. He said, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And you do many such things. Jesus also uttered some very strong words that applied primarily to the Jewish leadership, but secondarily to all people. In Matthew 15, verses 8 and 9, quoting from the Old Testament, he said, These people honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. I wonder if Ecob and his followers are among those to whom 1 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 applies, which says, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires... They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their hearts away from truth and turn aside to myths. John E. Cobb and many others dishonour God by following tradition instead of God's word through their Sunday worship practices. And please don't come up with that old chestnut I worship God every day of the week. So do I. But God gave his special blessing to the Sabbath and placed this commandment about our responsibilities to both himself and man in the middle of his Ten Commandments. The Sabbath is to be a special day of worship. And please don't come up with that other old chestnut that Seventh-day Adventists are legalists. If you keep any commandment, for example, the commandment about not committing adultery, you fall into exactly the same category. If you keep any of the Ten Commandments, you qualify to be called a legalist. Ecob has tried to present Seventh-day Adventists as some sort of religious mavericks, but he should be very careful about what he says because he's gone aside from God's word to other sources to build his arguments. 
He's also prepared to manipulate clear statements in the Bible to suit his own purposes. E. Cobb has criticised Seventh-day Adventists on certain points, but his own character is badly stained by weak theology, by contradicting himself, and by his own religious practices, and by twisting unambiguous Bible statements to make them sound like they mean something else. When one considers the injunction in Revelation 22 verses 18 and 19 about adding to or taking away from God's revealed word, it is obvious that Ecob has placed himself in great peril by openly teaching and disobeying a clear, thus saith the Lord. Personally, I am prepared to discuss and consider any religious issues in using the Bible as the source book, the final authority. If a teaching can be demonstrated from the Bible, I will accept it. But by drawing on tradition and unproven statements and assumptions, as Ecob has endeavoured to do, is dishonest and unacceptable to be to me. May God and God only be my judge. We're having a little break and I'll do the last letter straight afterwards. to letter number four. Dear Frank, this will be the last letter I shall send you regarding the book you've kindly lent me. There are a couple more issues I'd like to address in this letter, although there are many other issues I shall not address. John Ecob quoted a text from Colossians 2 verse 16. It says, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink, or in respect of an holy day, or of the new moon, or of the Sabbath. I agree with the sentiments of this text. When What someone looks like, what clothes they wear, and what kind of voice they have is no reason for you or me to judge anyone. In fact, when someone judges another, he or she generally uses his or her own self as the acceptable standard. Whatever judgment a person makes about another is unimportant. What counts 
is if we are right with God. Unfortunately, John E. Cobb has made a judgment simply by writing this book. You may observe that the title Seventh-day Adventism Weighed and Found Wanting is both a judgment and a sentence of condemnation. Weighed refers to a trial. Found wanting is the sentence. Judgment is God's business. He knows people's hearts, their motives and their responses to him. But he does have a standard by which he makes his assessment. That standard is given in Revelation 14.12. It says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. God's people, the saints, have two outstanding characteristics. They obey him and they exercise their faith by accepting what Jesus has done for them. It's a real pity that so many Christians think they're okay when they rely only on the latter part. On page 3, Ecob makes this statement. Mrs. White unashamedly denies the immortality of the soul. On the following page, he states, So far as the unsaved are concerned, Mrs. White doesn't believe they go to hell at death. I suspect you too believe that when someone dies, his or her soul goes to paradise or hell. Many Protestants, as does Ecop, accept that teaching as truth. But back at creation, after God created Adam and Eve, he warned them, But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Later Satan came along in the form of a serpent and said, "Ah, You shall not surely die. His lie was so successful it has perpetuated for millennia, so that even now people like John Ecob hold the belief that people have immortality from birth and that at death they continue to exist, either in paradise or hell. That means the dead are not dead. They supposedly continue to live in another form in another place. The word die, therefore, has to be totally meaningless. But... Ezekiel 18.20 plainly says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Seventh-day Adventists do believe in immortality, but not that someone continues to exist in a spirit state after death. After all, if the wicked dead are in a spirit state with no bodily form, they are and are continually being punished in a fiery hell, could they feel pain? No. There would be no physical torment. Immortality is not a natural thing that people possess from birth. It is given to the living righteous at the return of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 52 and 53 refer to the second coming of Christ, and it says, We shall be changed. For this corruption shall put on incorruption, and this mortal, which means subject to death, 
shall put on immortality. The return of Jesus is the time when the righteous are given immortality, not before. The most well-known text in the Bible also points that difference out. John 3.16, and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but inherit eternal life. Perish and eternal life are opposite. Eternal life is continuous, unending existence. Perish, on the other hand, means cease to exist. The wicked will be destroyed and they will not exist anymore. The righteous will inherit eternal life. It is pointless to be given eternal life if people already have it from birth. I'm satisfied that the Seventh-day Adventist belief is correct. I recognise that what I've responded to in this letter is merely scratching the surface of this subject, for there is so much more that can be said. Finally, Frank, I'd just like to share with you some of the beliefs and practices Protestants have swallowed from Catholic teachings. It is my opinion that these beliefs and practices cannot be supported from Scripture. Therefore, I regard them as false. What John E. Cobb espouses makes me wonder how much protest is left in conventional Protestantism. I suspect the modern Protestant protest has dwindled to a mere whimper. Nominal Protestants have accepted these ideas from the Catholics. Number one, Sunday worship in place of Sabbath worship. Two, the doctrine of punishment of the wicked in an ever-burning hell. Three, the doctrine of an immortal soul regardless of Christ's return. Doctrine four, being of an individual, being the Antichrist emerging sometime in the future from now. Number five, splitting of the 70-week prophecy, inserting a gap between week 69 and 70. Number six, the doctrine of a secret rapture. And number seven, the increasing acceptance of the Pope as the head of the Christian churches. Frank, it is my considered evaluation that John E. Cobb's book is inconsistent, contradictory and full of error. Therefore, I do not consider it as a guide to truth. In my opinion, this book is a tool to mislead people and should be rejected. Lynn.